This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This is the podcast where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I am talking with Baratunde Thurston. Baratunde is, among many other things, a writer for Fast Company magazine. And he was on the cover of the July-August issue with a hashtag up above him that said, Unplug. So... I think you probably know where we're going with this episode. But first, I wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Cliff Ravenscraft's Podcasting A to Z course. Since 2006, Cliff has inspired thousands of people to launch podcasts, myself included. Cliff's responsible for helping people like Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income, Michael Hyatt, This Is Your Life, Michael Stelzner, the Social Media Marketing Podcast, Dan Miller of 48 Days Online Radio, John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and Amy Porterfield of Online Marketing Made Easy, and again, like I said, even myself with this show, Beyond the To-Do List. If you were to take a quick look at the top 100 podcasts in the business category of iTunes, more than 40 are produced by Cliff's clients and students. In fact, you'd find similar results in many of the other iTunes categories as well. Podcasting A to Z is a four-week group training course where Cliff takes students who have no clue about the technical side of podcasting to the point of having them actually launch a professional-sounding podcast within four weeks. And this is much more than just a bunch of videos that you suddenly get access to. You get direct access to Cliff during the entire four weeks of the course. Every question you ask will be answered, and you can ask as many questions as you would like. If you've been thinking about launching your own podcast, the best decision you can make is to work with Cliff through his Podcasting A to Z online training course. Go to podcasting. A to Z.com, where there's more information to give you more of an overview of what you exactly get. Cliff has provided a generous $500 discount to the Beyond the To Do List community. To take advantage of this discount and to take that first step towards launching your very own podcast, simply go to podcasting A to Z.com, click the register now button, and use the discount to do in the shopping cart. That's one word, to do. All right, this week we are talking about unplugging with Baratunde Thurston. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Good to be here. Now, I have to admit, I saw the cover of Fast Company and didn't think you were dead. I thought you were, what was it again? You said something else about uh, 
Oh, the Bruce Almighty. Like they were doing Bruce Almighty, but they replaced Morgan Freeman with you. Yes, I'm glad you weren't confused. There's definitely a um, there's a version of the cover that Fast Company just made internally, and I think they called it like hashtag uh, Afterlife or hashtag <laughs> Dead or something. I met the art the artist who did it, and uh, he showed me their little internal version. But luckily, there's not been a lot of confusion about what sort of unplugging we were talking about. That's great. So let's do a quick fill in and just say, okay, you were on the cover of when was that it's issue? The, it's the July, August issue. Okay. So it's, it's basically the current issue of fast company, which you work at, you do a ton of other stuff, which I'll give, you know, linkage to in the show notes for the show, among which you used to write for the onion. Is that right? Yeah. I was the director of digital for the onion and the politics editor for a while there worked five years total. Wow. Um, and in terms of fast company, I'm a columnist there. Uh, so I do the back page every month. This was a very special occasion where I also got the front page. So it was like a, a sandwich made of Baratunde bread. Nice. And what's funny is this article, I guess that's the best way to put it, is yep. all about unplugging and what you decided to do with that, how you did it, what the outcome was. But originally you weren't thinking it was like some huge article. You were just going to maybe blog about it. What made you decide to push it out a little further? Well, the about halfway through the experience, this is a 25-day period of time covering the second half of December and the first week of January, uh, 2012 into 2013. And I decided that I needed a serious vacation, but it was more of a mental one rather than physical. So I ended up staying in New York where I live. I got a really cool place via Airbnb to make it a little more special. And I wanted to turn down a lot of the digital noise in my life. So about halfway through the experience, a friend of mine, actually, wasn't really my idea to write about it. I have a friend named Anand uh, Girdardas, and he's a writer. So a lot of things he sees end up being writing projects. He's always suggesting, you got to write this. you got to do a book about this. Uh, he's a writer for the New York Times. And he saw the positive effect uh, and the dramatic effect this was having on me. He said, you need to pitch this to Fast Company as more than your column. Um, so I, and when we had first started talking, I thought, oh, I could do a column on this. That's another check off of the list. But it was clearly a much bigger story. Um, and so once I was done with it, I wrote my editor and I said, hey, I got this idea. I did this thing. It had a much bigger effect than I thought. What do you guys think about me doing a, uh, a feature-length article? And they were down. I still don't know what would be the cover. That was a very, very late decision on their part and discovery on mine. So that was like icing on a pretty delicious cake. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that obviously there was a, a resonating with this whole unplugging thing because people are out there using that hashtag unplug and yeah. sharing the article like crazy. And, and that's, I think, how I saw it. No, that's not true. I subscribed to Fast Company. I saw it come okay. through the mail and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I slipped and saw, oh, it's a whole article. I'm going to yeah, read this. Yeah. So that was thick. But, uh, so obviously they saw, your friends saw that there was some kind of a, a change in you as you were doing this experiment. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk yeah. a little bit. What was your life like that you yourself decided or felt, okay, I need to do something. I need to draw back from all this input. Yeah, it was an extreme year. Uh, I live a pretty extreme life in terms of mobility. I was traveling uh, 180 days out of 2012, not being in New York City. Lots of flights. Uh, I think I visited something like 34 cities, six countries. I had launched my book, which came out in February of 2012. Uh, I had quit my job at The Onion. I had started a company because I'm an idiot. And as the anti-relaxation <laughs> activity is like become a full-on entrepreneur and be responsible for 
everything from like your banking to your email server decisions to clients and product development. So I was under a lot of stress. It was the good sort of stress, the stress of like pursuing opportunity. But there was also, you know, a lot of the, the eggs that I laid were kind of hatching and there's the overwhelming. And on top of all the sort of life stuff, there was a, a digital life on top of that where I built a lot of my own voice, um, editorially, creatively, a lot of my own marketing and outreach and branding and connectivity was all very digital. So a lot of activity on Twitter and on Facebook and uh, being responsive, sharing thoughts, dropping articles, connecting people to each other and, uh, and living very explicitly through these social digital tools. I was burned out. I was exhausted from talking a lot, from trying to know everything, from responding a lot and trying to measure all that I was putting out into the world. Um, and so I worked with, uh, I have someone on my team, I refer to her as my chief of staff, and she helps keep everything together and has worked with me for about, for about a year and a half now. And we constructed this model where it's like, okay, how do I step away responsibly from all the digital noise and kind of return to my own mind for a little bit? So kind of trying to find out what normal is outside of the overconsumption or the overcommitted lifestyle, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been a huge proponent of digital connectivity, of social media for social good, of the humanization of tech through our contact with one another, of the ways to be creative, you know, comedically and otherwise, with your content on these different platforms. It's been a huge part of my own career as an independent artist, as a business person, as a speaker, as a writer, and... uh Generally speaking, I've been a booster for all this stuff, and we sell it as an almost unqualified good. Uh, you, we should be connected. We should be on. We should be talking to one another at the world, listening, putting our listening posts out there. But there is a price to pay for being always on, and I had hit that. I was becoming not that pleasant. I was really tired. I was frustrated, <laughs> and and my mind was you know had never really had a time out. There was no rest areas. I was just like on the highway, punching it constantly. And that's not sustainable. So ultimately, you know, stepping back for more than a day, for more than even a week to really try to sink into it was, uh, was the goal. And I think that you'd probably even say, Hey, even you people who are less busy than, than you had been at that point still need to take that time. I know a couple of times in the article you referred to like a, a secular Sabbath where it's like, and especially for our devices, you, you turn them off for a day. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are, I mean, look, I'm not the inventor of the concept. I'm not even trying to be like some sort of Messiah of the unplugged. Like I'm not trying mm-hmm. to start a movement. I found in my own extreme lifestyle, a somewhat extreme temporary opt-out and decided to chronicle it. There are many people who don't live nearly as intensely as I did in the digital world who are like, oh, okay, if he could do it, maybe I can do it for a weekend. Like yeah. if he did it for three weeks, I can do it for one week. Uh, and so that was part of what the goal was. There are, there are, there's the National Day of Unplugging that's been happening for the past few years. There is the uh, something called like the Digital Sabbath that advocates from a initially Jewish tradition but sort of extrapolating out to like our tech religion that we need to take uh, a day off a week and do this. I know of writers and tech journalists who, you know, take one day a week and kind of literally turn their phones off or disable the, you know, don't check their email at all. So everybody's got their own boundaries and their own lines, but the importance 
that's consistent across all is just a little bit more conscious engagement with this stuff. Um, and that always saying yes is, uh, is not a good thing. I think you even talk about in the article, your friends have the thing or participated in at least the, the I am here day. What is that again? Yeah. So that was a really beautiful experiment. So actually the same friend who suggested I write about this, he and his wife, uh, Anand and Priya, they both live in Brooklyn now. And they wanted to, a way to creatively and sort of intensely explore New York. New York's a, a really big city, and it's got a lot of little towns in it, not just the boroughs, but the neighborhoods within. Uh, and so they set about um, every six to eight weeks exploring one neighborhood at a time. And they do it in group, small groups, four to ten people. One person is designated the curator or the leader, and they set up the day. Where are we starting? Where are we ending? What happens in between? Are we walking? Are we taking buses? Is there a hike? Is there a movie, film? So I am here day is what they refer to it as. And the, the purpose of it is to deeply explore a space and to leave, for the most part, your digital connectivity aside. Be here, be with the group, be physically present in whatever the neighborhood is. You don't have to opt out uh, and check your Instagram feed. You don't have to over-document your experience. You could just have it. And, uh, and so when you spend a full, essentially 12 hours with a group of six people exploring neighborhoods, um, and not exploring your Twitter feed, you return to something that we used to do a lot. You know, it's a different mm-hmm. type of social. I mean, it's not antisocial at all. It's not digitally social, it's sort of analog social, but it is a deeply social as opposed to a broad and thinly social experience. And you're grounded in space. So you're all at the same diner or you're all in the same forest or park or museum. And there's something really beautiful about being with a group of people who are um, all seeing the same thing, all eating the same thing, all hearing the same thing. Uh, That's kind of a magical experience. So one of the days of my 25 was devoted to an I Am Here Day exploration of the Bronx. And I just got a much deeper connection to the city I live in uh, because I was physically in it. Yeah, it's a much more special memory. Even if you did take photos that you didn't immediately, you know, tweet out or Instagram out, you you can look at them later. You could even share them later. But during the experience, you're actually actually experiencing the thing that's happening instead of sharing. Yeah, it. Look, look, we've all become um, kind of field producers of our own <laughs> right. lives, and we have these situations where you're at a birthday party or a dinner with friends, or you're just riding on the subway. And you're constantly like, we're all trying to break news somehow. Like, but it's like, it's like TMZ Gawker style news. It's not that important. And we see somebody on the subway who does something weird and we take out, uh, and we capture it. But once we've captured it, now we've got to caption it. And once we've captioned it, now we've got to share it. So there's all these extra, there's like an overhead we're adding to the experience layer of our life where we can't just live it. We've got to kind of, produce a mini film you know and right what, what's the title card of my lunch gonna be and uh what's the hashtag of my my friend's um, uh, baby shower gonna be uh, and so all that takes you out of it i'm not saying i never do it or we should never do it but in a given day Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people 
people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just looking at the self-photography of our lives alone, plus the witty commentary, plus the snarkiness and response to everything we're seeing, there's a lot of energy being taken up, uh, sort of throwing social commentary out through these channels. That's really, really thin. You know, it's really shallow. I also love that you you refer to it as kind of like creative expression with uh, key performance indicators attached to it. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, the article, here's what, so it's not like I think like this about my everyday life. I'm like, oh, yeah, we have, uh, we're over measuring our social media output. It's really the article forced me to think a little bit more about what happened to me. So I went through the experience. I wasn't keeping notes. I wasn't journaling it. I wasn't keeping a diary of things I might have tweeted. Uh, I thought I would do that. I ended up with a half a page of one hand-sized moleskin with like three sentences on it. And then I just like, you know, I don't need to document this. I'll remember what I remember. But as I was going back, I thought about, okay, what was really going on here? And what you just raised occurred to me as a new thought, for me at least, which was, it's not only that we talk a lot. It's not only that we tune in a lot. um, It's not only that we react and respond a lot. It's that we have a way of measuring ourselves, and which is totally new in terms of like human history. Right. The, the, the quantification of impact, you know, how many likes, how many hearts, how many loves, how many upvotes, what's the traffic on this image on my Facebook page versus the other? What's the virality, you know, of, of my photo sharing from my weekend at the zoo? And that's really like we've all become these like pro marketers for campaigns that should just be like a day in the life. So we create a, at least subtly, for some of us, it's more explicit, uh, but I don't think it goes without impact on our lives. Quantification, measurement, expectation, and optimization. You know, it's like, oh, I, I got to find the, just the right caption to get the most clicks or the most hits or the most retweets. And that's, there's, there's something unhealthy about everybody treating their life like, you know, a quantified marketing campaign with these key performance indicators and like ROI on your lunch. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning of your experience when yeah. you decided you had said, okay, so how, how do you say, okay, how far is too far? Like how, right. how unplugged do I get here? The goal was to make my life better. It was to relax and reduce stress. It was to be a bit more physically and mentally present. It was not to become a hermit and isolate myself from my friends. It was not to return to some pure analog living. Uh, this was not a religious movement. This wasn't grounded in the strict rules of uh, a Sabbath where you know, I can't use certain things before sunset. So I let myself use technology and use the internet. What I was really trying to isolate was the social and, and the things that were causing me the most stress. Text messaging doesn't cause me a lot of stress. It's actually like the most reliable way for me to be in touch with friends and not amplify and generate a whole bunch of responses and metrics and all these other sort of more public forms of communication. So that meant, A, no email, not logging in once to my work or personal Gmail accounts, huge reduction in stress. Uh, inbox zero, doesn't matter. I'm not thinking about any of that. And then two, all the social tools I was connected to, which principally meant Facebook and Twitter, because that's where I'm most active, but it extended to Google Plus and Instagram and Foursquare and Path and you know anything else with a profile and c- people connected to that profile. I wasn't doing that. Um, I did use Google. I use Google Maps. I use Seamless to order food. I use Ticketmaster to buy Broadway show tickets. So I was still taking advantage of like our modern information age. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't being social. I wasn't connecting to other humans through it. I was allowed to use the phone for voice communication, for SMS, one at a time. And I was broadly using sort of utilities online and media. I certainly wasn't trying to only read analog books, for example. I read my Kindle. I watched Netflix. But in watching Netflix, I just disconnected it from my Facebook account. I didn't want to generate any footprint at all on any social media account, whether actively or passively from some sort of auto thing. So Spotify, yeah, I could listen to music on Spotify, but no one could see what I was listening to or RDO or Netflix. That was important to me because what I, I wanted to disappear from a public perspective and I didn't want to generate any likes or any questions or any at responses. I didn't want people to expect that I would be responding. So, it's like if you announce in the old school way, like, oh, I'm going on vacation, I'm leaving my house, I'm out, and then people see like your lights on and hear music, they assume you're home. And so they knock on the door and they try to come over for dinner. Like, I didn't want to say I was leaving and then have this like echo from all these auto-generated accounts. So it took a while to disconnect from all that stuff. How did you table all your business aspects? Where you Did you have people that were checking in for you? One major, major, major thing to acknowledge, actually maybe a handful. One is the time of year that I did this. It was December 15 to January 8th, something like that. That's a pretty quiet time, universally, like earthwide. Mm-hmm. You got New Year's, you've got Kwanzaa, you've got Christmas, you've got Hanukkah, you've got all kinds of religious and business and national reasons to be quieter. So expectations are lower. It's a great time to disappear when people don't really ask that much. Um, the second is that I had someone, my chief of staff, who was monitoring my uh, inbox for anything that seemed like it was an actual emergency. You know, I had put up my vacation message 
And I said, look, if you think this is urgent, like contact Julia. If you have my cell phone, feel free to call me. If you don't, it's probably not that urgent. Otherwise, we would be connected in that way. And uh, there were two or three occasions where I did have to deal with something related to business. I had to sign a contract with my lawyer before the end of the calendar year for some tax type thing. Uh, I had a friend who experienced a significant tragedy in our family, and I needed information about that and to be able to communicate with her. And she had sent a group email that I just wouldn't have seen if I didn't have somebody monitoring in the background. And then in terms of the, the company that I set up, I had two other people I work with, and they were not nearly uh, as disappeared as I was. But most things, you find out that one of the biggest lessons I realized, like, I'm not that important. Man. <laughs> like, the internet <laughs> goes on, the planet keeps rotating, the nation moves forward or backwards or whatever the general direction of things is, it kind of persists. And, you know, maybe if I disappeared for like four years with no notice, that might be kind of, you know, disorienting for certain people. But I was very conscious up front in letting folks know one to two weeks in advance, I'm not going to be available. So if you need something, let's get it done now or let's wait. And most people understand that. I think we have gotten to this point where because we can be accessible, we feel like we must be. And our devices have led this. It wasn't ever a conscious decision. We deployed Blackberries across the whole workforce and then realized like, oh, that means we're working all the time. And now it's not just Blackberries. They're sort of the early symbol, but it's everything. Uh, there's no uh, sunset. There's no off time. There's no sleep mode for Twitter. It's just always on. So we become always on. But if you tell people, look, I'm not going to be on, it turns out they're kind of okay with that. Uh, so there was no real suffering from the business. And anything truly worth it could wait. If it can't survive a three-week delay with some notice like that, then you know the business is probably too weak anyway. And if something super, super amazing were to happen while I was out, the good news is I don't know about it because I'm not listening. So I can't <laughs> have that sense of, of fear of missing out because I'm not even tuned in to the stream of things I could be missing out on. Yeah. Before you took, you know, crossed over into the experiment officially, did you do any kind of, you know, ask for advice or counsel about how to get the most out of it? Yeah. I, um, you know, there, one of the things that I try to remember and even in some of the talks I give, uh, on anything from like digital creativity to like politics in the modern age is that we don't really have an excuse to not be better than the people who came before us. And that's true about almost everything. Like you're trying to sand a table. You don't have to make that up anymore. You can go and like, there's probably 30 great YouTube videos of sanding techniques for wooden tables, depending on the type of wood and the type of, you know, atmospheric pressure you're in. Like there's all this knowledge out there. So in terms of taking this digital detox, uh, I look to others who'd already done it. Why reinvent the wheel? Let's like perfect the wheel. Let's maybe realize we don't even need wheels anymore. So Dana Boyd is someone I turned to because I knew she had done this before. She's a researcher at Microsoft. She is a, a pioneer when it comes to how teens use social media. Every year she takes a major vacation from the internet, especially from email. And so I read all her stuff. Uh, there was another dude I can't remember his name. Now, Brian Fitzpatrick, I think. He works for Google. And he had a set of blog posts sharing his experience and advice for those who are trying to temporarily disconnect. Here's what you should look out for. Turn, here's the best way to turn off notifications on your phone. Here's the best way to message people. So it was really, really helpful to kind of skip a few steps in terms of the prep. And also just think about like what I needed to be worried about, what other people connected to me. Like, What's my responsibility? in doing this. I mean, I could have, I probably overdid it a little bit on the messaging, 
because I just didn't want people to feel like I was being rude or irresponsible. I had such a, a reputation for being responsive and being always on for me to disappear without any kind of explanation felt a little rude. That might not be the case for everybody. So I learned from some other people about, especially about ways to work with your colleagues, clients, customers, family, and, and managing the human expectations around all of this so you don't come across as, well, as a jerk. So you walked into the, the experiment, you're in the thick of it. What was it like? Like, what was the hardest, a couple of hardest things that you had to deal with while you're in it? So I, I would say um, the hardest thing to deal with still, I really, the being disconnected was so much easier than I could have anticipated. Certainly much easier than a lot of my friends expected. A lot of them didn't think I would last. Um, the hardest part was getting, like getting out, getting out of the connected world. It's not easy. Uh, email makes it easy. That's the only tool where you got a vacation message, auto reply, forwarding rule. You know, you can set up all these rules. If this, you know, set of 10 people messages forward to X, if these other 10 do that, everybody who writes gets an auto reply, delete everything that comes in. Like you got all kinds of control over the system that represents you in this social way. Nobody else does that. Facebook makes it weird. Twitter makes it non impossible. There's no suspending of your Twitter account. There's no um, auto response to people who direct message you uh, on Twitter. They just see, oh, you didn't write me back. And to figure out what someone's doing on Twitter, you kind of have to go through their feed and kind of infer things about their lives. Like, oh, it looks like you're in Jakarta, like whatever it is. <laughs> um, so, you know, I set up images, all my profile photos. I swap those to be something really stark uh, in terms of legibility that just said, look, offline until Jan 8, expect no replies. I tweeted heavily. Uh, Facebook does let you like suspend or deactivate your account. But when they do that, first of all, they make it really emotionally um, manipulative because they show you the images of like your friends and family and they're like, oh, Rebecca's really going to miss you. You sure you want to do this? Your sister's not going to see what you're up to. Are you sure you want to cut off your family? You want to be a good brother, don't you? Like, you love your sister? Why don't you love your sister? What about this baby? Your friend just had a baby. Why do you hate babies? So, like, Facebook's real awkward about it because they need you to be on to maintain their valuation. And they're, you know, what you realize in all these tools is, like, they're one way. They suck you in. They get you connected. They get you hyper-productive from a content, you know, consumption or production perspective, and they really don't make it easy for you to go. So I had to manage that. That was the hardest part. Being okay. in it, so much easier. I think it was mostly, I felt a relief because I hadn't really done it this intensely before. And that was the new adventure. You know, it was like tweeting things that I saw as I walked down the street. You know, it wasn't actually that special anymore. Not tweeting. That was the cool thing. <laughs> and just sort of like taking deep breaths and like straightening out my posture from not being hunched over all the time. Uh, seeing, you know, the cars coming toward me as I cross the streets. I lowered my odds of uh, being murdered by a vehicle because I'm looking at my phone all the time. Uh, that was really cool. And if there was a part that was, you know, closest to me sort of slipping back in or feeling this like jonesing for connectivity, it was around things that I read that I wanted to share with certain people. When you turn off all these social tools, for me, it dramatically affected the news consumption because mm -hmm. I didn't have any um, no broadcast television or cable TV to turn on. I listen to NPR in the shower 
that was about it. And I, I was starting to read the New York Times app um, just to stay connected with what was going on in New York. But otherwise, I have no idea what's happening in pop culture, what's trending, who said what stupid thing on what cable news show. That is all social media. And I realized, oh, man, I'm kind of blind in terms of news without this, which was a, a great relief for a news junkie like me. It's like, oh, cool. But when I did read stuff, I want to share it with people. And I was like, oh, I can't tweet this. So I would text it to people. And then one of my friends, I just, I probably texted him like nine different articles, you know, over the course of a week. And he's like, dude, you're really pushing the bounds of SMS. <laughs> uh, so that, that's where I, I came closest to, uh, to cracking and feeling like, oh, there is, I have a compulsion that even in my detox mode needs an outlet. And that is, you know, knowing that I have come across some content that's relevant to someone else, how do I share that with them? Uh, and so I had the little back door of SMS or I was just forced to talk. You know, I had a lot more dinner parties and I used words out loud directed at people's faces in the room uh, as my little like viral sharing metric. Now, did you see them still pick up their phones and like do stuff with them? And did, did you feel like, man, I'm an outsider? Yeah, you know, there was, um, I remember going to a, a holiday party. This is all during holiday party seasons. So you've got New Year's Eve parties, you've got Christmas parties. And I went to somebody's Christmas party. I knew a lot of people there. And they were like, oh, is it okay if I tweet that you're at this party? And I had to think about like, oh, am I, like how invisible am I? And do I have a right to ask people not to reference me? And I was like, you know what, go ahead. Do Like, this is my adventure, not yours. So do what you would normally do. I won't, you know, engage in any way. I'm not going to log in and retweet that or acknowledge it. Uh, and then there was a moment where, I think someone had just found something really funny happening on Twitter. We were hanging out together, a group of like three or four people, and they wanted to show me what it was. And I was like, oh, can I, am I allowed to do that? Can I look at someone else's Twitter on their phone? And, and, you know, they're kind of my proxy, my, my representative uh, to the Twitter sphere. And I was like, you know what? Enjoy it. Feel free to tell me about it, but I'm not going to actually physically look at the screen and like scroll through your stuff because I felt like I was violating the spirit uh, of what I was trying to do. Uh, when I was having, you know, I had some dinner parties, hosted some whiskey, kind of happy hour type events called Whiskey Friday at this cool space I was staying in. And a lot of people, my own rules kind of rubbed off on them. And so I think people did a little bit less of it because there was, there was a lot of intrigue. Like, no, are you really not doing this? Like after a week and a half, and they realized like I hadn't tweeted and hadn't posted anything on Facebook and my phone was just in my pocket. And like you, wow, okay, that's interesting. And so they, May have. I think I'd have to talk to my friends a little more so I'm not overstating the effect it might have had. But I got a sense that for a few of them, they were a little less zealous uh, online, at least in my direct physical presence. So then stepping out of it, obviously, you, you aren't the only person who's ever done this. But no. uh, you, you know, this was, you know, what, seven, eight months ago now. What's the time been like? What have been like the lasting lessons since you did such an intense like withdrawal from that? So a couple of things. I, I miss it constantly. There is a, it's a very luxurious thing to do to just essentially ignore a big piece of the world and to deny yourself the, the urge to share is, uh, it's kind of nice. Some people, you know, and also I had a, a nice extended period of time, like running your own business. You kind of have the ability to do that. I had enough saved up. I didn't have to earn for those three weeks. Like that was cool. So when you're back in the hustle, 
it's I, I look with longing back on that time because I realized how much intention there was in getting to that level of like, oh, 25 whole days. Like, it feels really epic from this vantage point now, like almost nine months later. So there's a respect for, you know, the, the luxury of it. There's a respect for the time that I gave myself a, a bit of longing uh, and missing of that. That's one thing. The other is the addictive nature of all this. You know, the, everything around us screams like be on, be connected. The, every app you install has a default. Yo, can you, can I know where you are at all times? Can I disturb you in the middle of the night? Can I interrupt your experience with my experience? And the expectation, almost like an end user license agreement, you're just like, yeah, sure, I agree, whatever. Okay, okay, okay. And I'm much more conscious of that now and actually think about it. But it is still easy to kind of slip back into that default on mode. So, so that sticks with me. And then there's, I got a big respect for silence from a like actual physical perspective, like just being in quiet spaces, meditation. I do much more now. Uh, and some sort of like unplanned, unengaged, like non-formal use of time, just allowing the subconscious to roam, which, you know, in 2012, I didn't have to do a lot of that. I was always engaged consciously, actively in something. And I think there's a creative cost, like for someone like me who's trying to think of some new theory or write another book or think about what a blog post is going to be or what I'm going to talk about on stage or in a comedy routine. It's really important to not be actively mentally engaged every second of the day uh, in a meeting, reading a blog post, thinking about what I want to say next and just have time to float. And so I discovered that or I guess rediscovered it during that big offline period. And I have tried to create moments of that since then, you know, even now and like take a half day off or take a week where I try not to have any outside meetings, you know, outside of my team. And that's really been healthy. Uh, and then healthiness, you know, like I've become more physically active again. I do some mix of like cardio workout and some yoga and some meditation just to try to, you know, mix it up a little bit because you can lose a lot of time just like staring at the phone and sitting at the computer and being hunched over and being, you know, looking at these glowing screens all the time. We didn't really evolve to do that. And so I'm not trying to go backwards and be like, I'm, I renounce all technology. I don't want convenience in my life. I definitely want the advantages, but I also want to be healthy and to be more conscious about it. So what I've tried to do, even in my return, uh, full return to the fold, is carve out, you know, uh, some moments uh, of of more health, more consciousness around all this. Yeah. yeah. So using the technology for what it's good for, the pros, while the cons and the the, the drawbacks, you kind of you put up some some guardrails for. Yeah, it's it's um it's I will say it's difficult. It's difficult, you know. Things Miley Cyrus does something right, and I was like, I gotta talk, I gotta say something about this ridiculousness. <laughs> it's just it's built in. Like I don't know if the internet's gonna be okay if I don't say something about this. We I've gotten to that point of sort of self-importance. Everybody's must, waiting for you to weigh in. Yeah, I must issue some formal statement. Like, like I need to do a press conference every day about something that happened on the internet. That is a very compelling, it's a, it's a drawing thing that kind of sucks, at least for me, sucks me in. And I got to be careful uh, about how much I indulge in that. For people that are interested in reading more about this, I'm going to put the link to the actual article in the show yeah. notes for this episode, and people can go check that out at beyondthetodolist.com slash 44. 
I know there's other, some resources on fast companies, uh, site there about maybe getting more information about this kind of thing and what's going on with it. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So they, um, fast company put together a bunch of stuff. Uh, there's quizzes you can take to figure out how connected you are. They interviewed, you know, their magazine for kind of the future of business. So they also pulled from their vast library or did new interviews with business leaders. I think there's a special care that anyone who's in any kind of management or leadership has to be extra cautious of when doing something like this. I, I know I've heard from people who like run social media for companies or organizations and it's like the hardest for them to disconnect. Cause like this is their full professional identity. They're in charge of the university of XYZ's social profile. Can the university just go dark? For two weeks and say nothing and respond to nothing and ignore people's queries, probably not. So, you know, there's a there's a lot of lessons in the Fast Company collection about how to think about disconnecting, how to do so responsibly, professionally, and they might even have some like particular apps and tools that you know give you little warnings, tell you to get up and stretch. Like, there's a whole body of work around this. I know Ariana Huffington's been engaged in in this. They um Huffington Post issued an app called GPS for the Soul which allows you to check in and measures your pulse and how stressed you are. There's breathing exercises you can do. And she has this whole conference called the third metric uh, that she does, I think, with Mika Brzezinski from Morning Joe. So there's a whole big thing. And there's that Sabbath thing. I'm going to see if I can find that. It's like detox Sabbath. Googling it right now. Anyway, people, it sounds uh, your, right, yeah. Your listeners have access to search engines. So, oh, it's sabbathmanifesto.org. Oh, I have, I have heard about that. So that's pretty cool. Good principles there. You, and pick and choose. You know, not, I certainly don't think everybody has to do what I did. That was a bit intense, mm-hmm. but I think we all should be careful and conscious of how much, you know, we're using these tools versus letting them use us. And that's a great ending point right there. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Baratune Day. And uh, where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? I am Baratune Day, B-A-R-A-T-U-N-D-E, on most of the major platforms. And uh, baratunday.com is my personal home. Cultivatedwit.com is my company's home. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for listening and saying smart things into your microphone. Well, that wraps up another great episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks again to Baratunde for stopping by and sharing his experience of unplugging. Make sure to check out the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 44. Don't forget to check out podcastinga2z.com and use the code TODO, that's all one word, T-O-D-O, to receive $500 off the Podcasting A to Z four-week podcasting course to learn how to launch your professional podcast today. Thanks again, everybody. If you'd like to leave some feedback for this episode, please go to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes, and we'll see you next time. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at Noodle 
Mx. Learn how to podcast. Theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy. Delve into science fiction and philosophy. Learn critical thinking from movie reviews and more at Noodle. Mx.